Chapter 23. One Small Step. A human being on the moon? It was hard for most people to believe that something that humankind had dreamed of for thousands of years was finally coming true. It also amazed many Americans to learn what an expensive trip it was. Together, the Apollo missions cost a mind-boggling $24 billion, or about $156 billion in today's dollars. Not everyone believed that the exploration of space was worth the astronomical price tag. A few days before the Apollo 11 launch, 200 protesters marched outside Cape Canaveral as a part of the Poor People's Campaign, a movement designed to bring attention to the problems facing poor people of all colors. At the beginning of the 1960s, the space program and the civil rights movement shared a sense of optimism. Scientific idealists believed that technical know-how would make the future better, and civil rights advocates fought hard to ensure that everyone, regardless of race or color or background, would receive the blessings of democracy that the United States Constitution promised all of the country's citizens. By the end of the decade, some of those civil rights leaders argued that the billions of dollars spent to send a handful of people to the moon could help many millions of poor people right here on Earth. Activists challenged NASA to consider the worthiness of the space program when disadvantaged people on Earth could barely put food on the table. Many people also asked why there weren't any black astronauts and why there were only a few black engineers or scientists working for NASA. African Americans believed that outer space belonged to people of every race, and this space program should too. Not many of them knew that in Hampton, Virginia, black women like Catherine and Dorothy and Mary and Christine were working hard using their mathematical talents to help the United States. Landing. On July 20th, 1969, more than 600 million people around the world sat in front of their TVs, eager for the first close-up look at the heavenly body that they had only ever seen in the sky from their earthly home. While the astronauts continued their 238,900-mile journey to the moon, Katherine Johnson had just finished a much shorter trip. She and about 100 of her sorority sisters had come to a quiet hotel in the Pennsylvania mountains for a weekend retreat. Even there, however, Everyone was eager for news of the historic voyage. The other women crowded around the hotel's small black-and-white television, listening to the news anchors and watching the screen as astronauts glided closer and closer to their destination. The moon mission was so complex that it had taken more than 400,000 people working as a team to send the spacecraft safely on its way. Since the early 1960s, when President Kennedy announced that he wanted America to land a person on the moon, Katherine Johnson had worked hard on the analysis that eventually made this day possible. She had given years of hard work to NASA and its mission, but the hardest part might have been to sit watching the astronauts moving away from Earth through the cold vacuum of space bound for the moon. She knew there was no way she would be able to relax until the astronauts had landed on the moon and returned safely back to Earth. Even with 26 manned flights under NASA's belt, this was different, and everyone knew it. Katherine Johnson watched the television. The Eagle, the lunar lander, a crab-like mechanical contraption carrying astronauts Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin, emerged from the Apollo command module and descended to the surface of the moon. At 10.38 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, on July 20, 1969, 
Humankind set foot for the first time in history on a heavenly body other than Earth. Astronaut Neil Armstrong climbed down a ladder and stepped onto the moon. That's one small step for a man, he said, one giant leap for mankind. The actual landing had been one part of the mission that had been impossible to rehearse, and the most dangerous. The Apollo 11 astronauts had given the mission only a so-so chance of success. Neil Armstrong thought they had a 50-50 chance of landing on the moon on the first try. Katherine Johnson had confidence. She knew her numbers were right. She always expected the best. You have to expect progress to be made, she said. Timing was everything. After the moonwalk, Catherine knew the astronauts had a brief window to get back into the lunar lander and reconnect with the mothership above. Then, they had three long days on the highway back to Earth, followed by a journey through the fire of the atmosphere and down to the ocean below. She knew she would hold her breath until the space pioneers had been lifted from the ocean by the waiting Navy ships. But the mission was a success from beginning to end, take off to splashdown. The astronauts had returned to their home on Earth safely. Catherine enjoyed a bit of ease, but only for a moment. NASA still had six more Apollo missions planned, and there was always the thrill of the next discovery. Now that NASA had successfully landed astronauts on the moon, Catherine and some of her co-workers had talked about a mission to Mars. Others dreamed about going even further away from Earth, embarking on a grand tour that would send a spacecraft hopping from Mars to Jupiter to Saturn, like a stone skipped across a glassy lake. It wouldn't be easy, but the nimble minds at Langley could make it a reality, Catherine thought. Why should flying a person to Mars be any less achievable than sending a man into orbit around Earth or landing a man on the moon? One thing built on the next. Catherine Johnson knew, once you took the first step, anything was possible.